Hello, Rejects. I'm Brent. And I'm Dave. Welcome back to Rejected Central. Slightly more than a decade ago, I met Angie Abdu over a literary lunch put on by our mutual friend Amanda LaDuke. Now, I don't say that very often. As an introvert, my social habits don't often put me next to strangers at all, much less in such a formal, small-talky setting as a lunch, and sitting across from a member of Canada's literati. But Angie has one of those personalities that immediately warms up a room, and we had a lovely chat. I felt seen, which, for an unpublished aspiring writer, is no small thing. Angie's written a bunch of books. They're all wonderful, won a bunch of awards, and even had her novel The Bone Cage defended on CBC's Canada Reads, which, for my non-Canadian listeners, is like Survivor, but for books. She's also visible and engaged all over the show, appearing regularly at literary festivals and in the media, where she combines her love of writing with sports and family, her other passions. And I am super excited to have you here. Angie, welcome to Rejected Central. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to hear your voice. Yeah, ditto, ditto. So I, I also, just today, I had a couple of things pop out that I wanted to congratulate you about. So first of all, back in June, you got the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Sport Literature Association uh, for your own contributions in the field of sport literature, um, which is super cool just in itself. It's it's incredible to receive that award, but you also are the first woman, the first Canadian uh, and the youngest scholar to receive the honor. So congrats on that. How did that come about? Uh, that was thrilling. It was funny because um, it was at the annual Sport Literature Association conference and there was a, an item on the program that I didn't know what it was. It was kind of mysteriously worded. Huh? But the three people that were doing it were people who are really close to me, kind of a young person, a middle person, and an older person. Right. And I had that when I saw that item on the list, I had this momentary thought of like, did I die? Because <laughs> usually those times, <laughs> they're like memorial events. And then I was so busy, I forgot all about it. So then when they started that session, someone asked me, what's this session about? I'm like, I don't know, like maybe somebody died. <laughs> and then they started talking and they said the first woman, the first Canadian. And then everybody started looking at me and I was like, oh my goodness. Like I was so um, overwhelmed with gratitude to be people who mean so much to me and an organization that means so much to me and a genre that means so much to me and to be recognized in that way. It really exceeds anything I imagined for myself. It was quite thrilling, to be honest, and very emotional. Well, that's really neat. I mean, in addition to your your academic things, you're also, your most recent few books have really kind of sort of dug into that side of things as well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember at one point thinking, you know, I'm going to move away from sports. I think it was around my novel, In Case, <laughs> case I Go, which felt I think that's going to be a motif, but <laughs> yeah. just going back to sports. We may talk about a few things. <laughs> yeah, you don't really, yeah, you don't know where life is going to take you sometimes. And sometimes I feel like, why fight something that's working for me and that obviously is of interest to me and is a big part of my life. So yeah, I had a moment thinking I'm going to move away from this and then I embraced it more than ever. Well, and I, I guess if we're going to talk about the getting back into sports in other ways, you're swimming competitively again and did very well at a recent meet representing Canada at the master's level. Can you talk a bit about that? How did how did you get yeah. back to swimming? How long have you been back in the competitive side of things? Because I know you've had, um, you know, you 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 were away from it, and you, know, you were a competitive swimmer when you were younger, yeah, and that took its toll on your body. Yeah, I swam from when I was four till I was about 
27 at the varsity level and then a little bit of masters after that. And then um, I had two kids and I wasn't swimming as much. And then my shoulders started, you know, being really quite painful. And I thought, oh, I think I'm done. And then about two years before COVID, I started maybe just one year before COVID, I started getting back into it. And I was thought, I'm just going to go. I'm going to swim in the slow lane. I'm going to see how it goes. And then right away, I was addicted again and swimming in the fast lane and wanted to go to competitions. And Swim Canada is wonderfully organized for, it really believes in lifetime sports. So master swimming is like, um, as soon as you're done elite level, like once you're like, okay, not on the track for the Olympics anymore, but you want to keep swimming, there are age groups. They go 19 to 24, 25, 29, 30 to 34, right up to as old as people show up. And there's, they keep provincial records and national records and world records. And there's championships at every level and people really work hard and swim really fast. So it's super, super fun. That's neat. But I mean, you got, you got ribbons, you placed. I got medals. I won won all my events at the nationals, all my freestyle events at the nationals and then at worlds. I was really hoping you'd cue that up. I I mean, I had, I mean, I saw the information, but it's so cool. You you know, and I just feel braggy, but I'm also kind of proud of myself. Right. So it was, I went to worlds and the maximum you can swim is five events. And I, I got three medals, two silvers and a gold and then one other top 10 place and then one 14th. And then the event I got 14th and like there's 150 people in it, you know, so it's, and it's so fun. Like everybody from all over the world speaking all different languages. And the thing about them is they love swimming as much as I do. And it was right after the worlds were in Fukuoka, like with the Olympians, we're in the same venue. So it's all very, very exciting. It was so fun. And my daughter, I coached my daughter who's 14 and she came along to be my coach. And that was thrilling too. She was, I could tell she was proud of me, which there's nothing more nicer than your kids being proud of you. That must be really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I can relate as a writer when you get the things from your kids and they see your books and they see that people talk to you about your books. And I have a 10 year old and she's kind of aware now that that's something that I do. And you're right. That is, that's really cool when she is able to articulate that, that my stuff means something to her more than just, oh, that's dad. When my daughter, when my daughter was probably about your daughter's age, they were supposed to do a presentation at school on someone famous. And so she told her teacher she was going to do it on her mom. And her teacher's like, well, no, you need to do someone famous. And my daughter looks at her and says, well, look her up on Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) So they let my daughter do her presentation on me. I was like, thanks, honey. (laughs) But my trip from Japan does give me a good failure story. I was thinking today about failure stories, and I had one there. I was going to, I was easing, you know, it's a rejection podcast, and so... I thought it'd be nice to start with some of the congratulations and then we'll we'll get into the failure and rejection. And your email from earlier today that we're going to talk about the distinction between the similarities between the what is shared between rejection and failure. I think that's really good too. Yeah. So yeah, please share what, what, what your trip from Japan. So I'd like to talk about failure first, because I think that's a little bit easier. Rejection I've thought about, and I can, I can think I can articulate how it's different and a little bit more difficult. But so I had done my first event in Japan was the 800 free. And I had, a, I have a very bad habit. I get overexcited and I go out too fast and I get my, I look fantastic for the first half, but I get myself into a little trouble, but I had done my 800 free and I play second, I got the silver medal, and I did go out, out a bit too fast, but not terribly, terribly bad for me. But then for my next event was the 100 free. And I'm not as much of a sprinter, but I kind of got excited and thought, oh, I want to get more medals. That was so fun, this whole podium thing. And so when I was placed out of the medals, 
but I was feeling really confident after that first race. So, and I also thought, well, this is the one race I don't have to hold back because I'm always trying to hold back more at the start. So that I'm just going to go for it. And it's a long course pool. So it's 50 meters instead of 25 meters, which I usually train, which is a little bit more of a fitness challenge. And I went out like a rocket, had a fantastic 75 free. And then there's a saying about, uh, we have about a piano dropping on your back. And it felt more like, like, I don't know, a hotel dropped on my back. It was just like, I must've been so full of lactic acid. I don't even know. I went from placing in the heat, placing like, um, I don't know, second to placing last in the last 20 meters, everybody passed me. I just about, like, I just felt like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end, which has never happened in a hundred free. So like that might happen in a 200 fly, but I just, I don't know what happened. I hit the wall in a hundred free. That's not even the thing, but I did. And I watched it later on video and it was just as painful to watch as it was to swim. I was like, oh my goodness, what is (laughs) happening? And I was so disappointed, right? So I ended up placing 10th overall. So I snuck in for a certificate, but I didn't do a best time and it was not a pretty swim. And my daughter was there watching me and my mom was home watching on the live stream. And I just thought, ah, that's not what I came all the way to Japan for, right? And so that, it sounds like, oh, big deal. You're an old person swimming against other old people and it's just for fun and the stakes aren't very high. But really the stakes are that I worked really hard. I really cared how I did or else I wouldn't have worked so hard and I wouldn't have spent all the money to go to Japan. And I was really invested in it and I really wanted to do well, which really, that's always what the stakes are, except for at the highest level of sports. And I would say also the highest level of writing. Like it's very comparable. We do it because we love it, because we want to do it and we have a dream there's not a lot else at stake for most people. So I was really upset. And then I felt sort of silly for being really upset. It's it. I like the word investment when it comes to the things that we work hardest for. Um, and I like to separate the investment term from the financial side of the investment. Yeah. Like you've invested in this swim, in all of the swimming and in this particular meet, you were really training for it in your writing life. You invest in that writing. Um, and I wonder if that heightens that sense of failure for, you know, regardless of what you end up going out to do and not, again, we don't necessarily need to use the word failure because that's kind of a thing that comes up again and again and again, the sports psychology, but the, if it's not failure, it is not meeting your own expectations yeah. or right. It's not, um, it's not achieving your benchmark or whatever it is, however the euphemism that we want to use rather than failure. It, it heightens it though, doesn't it? You didn't reach your goal, right? You had a goal and you did not reach it. So however you want to phrase that. And yeah, it's if you have put in time and the amount of, amount of time, like I swim every day, at least two hours. And, and so that that's an investment of time. It's an investment of passion. It's an investment of energy and, and it's the same with writing. Like, how many hours a day do we spend writing this? Because we have a certain goal right. or a dream. And if you don't reach it, whatever you call it, that shortcoming, it's, it can be kind of painful. When we first started talking about doing this episode, um, you mentioned the failure versus rejection thing. And I think let's start with that. It's a hard, that's a harder question. So first, what I'd, li- I'd like to, you talked about what do you do to overcome the failure or rejection? And I think I'd like to talk with that in relation to this example, where it's a little simpler and straightforward and then bring in rejection, which is more complicated. And I think I understand why. So the, the, the failure, what I would do, and I can use this as a, an example, is the first thing I think is important 
when you don't reach your goal and you have, you have that moment is to let yourself feel the feelings. Like I, first I was kind of embarrassed for being sad or being mad or being embarrassed or being ashamed. And then I thought, no, I put in a lot of time and I made a lot of effort just to be here. So let, let myself feel those emotions. Like it's okay to be sad and mad and all those things it just shows that you care, right? If you didn't care at all, why would you have spent all that time and energy? So first let yourself feel the emotions. I'd say is the first thing I do after a, a setback and then um, reassess. So in this case, I called my coach who's in Canada and said, what happened to me? I've never had and nothing like that's happened to me before. And he said, you were overexcited. You got a little panicked. You um, didn't breathe properly and you used your legs too hard. You really, before the next race, instead of getting yourself excited, you need to take some deep breaths and figure out how to calm yourself down. Like it's not a matter of getting yourself up for a race. It's a matter of calming yourself down for a race. And so that's the third thing to like, so one, let yourself feel the feelings Two, assess what happened. And then three, figure out where, what you're going to going to change. So it doesn't happen again. And so I had my 200 free next was my third event. And like I said, I always go out too fast. And in that event, I just, all I was focused on was not going out too fast. That was my sole focus. And it was a really fun race. And I ended up third bronze medal by uh, 0.09 against the person who got second. And it was so fun. Like she was so happy after. And it was just a really fun race. And I was really happy with my times. My splits were the most even I'd ever swum. I came back blazing fast. So you can take a real. And I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't failed so spectacularly in the 100 free. <laughs> I just would have never gone out so <laughs> slow and calm at a world championships. Mm-hmm. But I, because I failed spectacularly, I was able to really force myself to go out calm in a way that I never have before. Well, that's something that I certainly encountered in um, some of the articles you wrote. Uh, what's the name of the website again? It's uh, Active for Life. And that came up a few times where various athletes you've spoken to, they talk about you know, their approach to setbacks, their approach to injury or whatever, and they talk about feeling the feel, mm-hmm. you know, like making, making sure that you take time to acknowledge the emotional impact of it is real. I try to do that when I'm coaching and my kids are upset and they're crying after a bad swim. I'm just like, isn't this great? Look how much you care. Isn't it wonderful to care so much about something? And they don't always appreciate that at the time, but I think they get there later. Not always. And and me needing to be a a problem solver rather than just a, okay, take a moment rather than, okay, what can we do next? Mm -hmm. How can you be better? And all that as well. My, my, the, the head coach in the club will often tell the swimmers, go have your cry, like go cry. And when you're finished crying, come back and we'll have a talk, but take your time to go have your cry. Cause there's a lot of crying in sports, maybe in writing too. People care. They care a lot. And it's, you just have oh, all really do. Absolutely. Pent up emotion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And what you were talking about active for life. I, I, so I did those interviews with Olympians and kind of lessons for life that come from their Olympic experience. And I was surprised. I think how often resilience came up, like, you know, how do you, when you knock down, how do you get up back up again? Because that's the main thing. Right. You get knocked down, how do you get back up again? Over and over again. And anyone who's had success and who's climbed those mountains, it's just because they keep getting, well, not just because, but it's largely because they keep getting back up. And it's part of the, and making it part of the emotional process, part of the physical process, part of the future training process and try to combine all of those things together. The other day I was, I had a writerly rejection panel and 
you know, as a writer, you get this about the constant when you're out there trying to get published, the constant rejection from journals or publishers or whatever it is. And on one hand, some of us can get to the point where we talk about a thick skin or we can talk about resilience and we can talk about all of the, it's not affecting us. But I think, you know, one thing that really came out is I don't think that's quite true. I think we we develop resilience by by doing those things that you're talking about, by feeling the feel, mm-hmm. by, by making yourself, you know, work through it in your mind and say, what could I do differently? How can I get better next time? And oh, sometimes it's a little bit of a thick skin because sometimes things are said very callously. And if you don't have a thick skin, then, you know, I'd like to... Um, one of the, as I was, again, going through and getting ready for today, uh, This One Wild Life, uh, the book that you wrote in, was it 21, 21, 22? That sounds right. I used to know these off by our heart, the dates of my books. And somehow along the line, it seems less, I know I can tell you 100 free time down to the point zero one. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> moved a little bit away from obsessing about the writing parts as much. And maybe you can only be obsessed with one thing at once. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's right. Your mental RAM has to focus yeah. on what fewer things 2021 sounds right no pop quiz on all your 10 books don't worry (laughs) the opening words really uh, kind of leapt out at me um not because that they're beautiful um but for what they were the unexpected that effect that they had on me uh, as i'm reflecting on what we can talk about in this episode but the words are my girl never needed me and that's what i've always said I, i think emotionally we might assume when we hear somebody say this about a child saying they never needed me, that it that it's almost like a rejection. But a few lines later, you're very quick to say, no, it's you're grateful and relieved for those words. And I bring this up because I think there's a tension there between what we expect and what is actually happening. So I might expect you to push against the kid not needing the parent, but but, you know, you you don't and you reach a peace with it. You've lived a few lives, I would say, parent, (laughs) athlete, award-winning writer, and all of what we talked about tonight, all of which have brought rejection in terms of saying, you know, it's that's like a no, basically. Yeah. But that tension is there between the expected and the actual. Is there always that tension between the good and the bad of a rejection all at one time? Yeah, I think. I mean, actually, I know. I've had some rejection that's flat out bad. That was flat out horrible. And so this is where I get to the difference of rejection and failure. I think failure can be very objective. Like I want to make a certain time and I don't make it. And that's on me. And I want to, or I want to win a race and I don't win it. And that's on me. Whereas rejection is someone else rejecting you. So it's more subjective and sometimes less in your control and sometimes less about quality, right? Like, so I have a friend who um, we swam together on our varsity swim team. And her sister was a synchronized swimmer in the Olympics. And she always said, this friend of mine, I will never let my kid do judge sports because of some of the experiences of her sister. And that's writing as a judge sport, right? Someone might reject you, but it's not because you were 0.02 too slow. It's for reasons that you might never really understand or maybe not even valid reasons. So there's a subjectivity to it. And and it can be really personal. And I have... um, been in situations in our literary community where a mixture of me making some mistakes, uh, other people misunderstanding me, uh, us all coming at the situation from different contexts and different knowledges and uh, 
changing rules and, uh, you know, motions running high and everybody being stressed out. And then the vehicles we were using to communicate, which social media, which is not the best for, <laughs> for authentic communication, all those came together mm-hmm. to me feeling rejected by my community and to me feeling like I lost professional opportunities as well as friendships. And that's, Hmm. that's a whole other thing than failure. That's rejection. Uh, you know, count me out as much as you can. That is a terrible, that's kind of, that's the kind of feeling that drives, can drive people to suicidal thoughts. I think, you know, when you feel like hmm. Hmm. lost control of your life for reasons that are out of your control, now that's going somewhere pretty dark and that's extreme rejection. Of course, it's a sliding scale. But to me, sure. I thought a lot about what's the difference between rejection and failure. And failure is something that I failed. I can I can try again to not fail. And there's, it's very clear what I didn't do and what I need to do. Rejection is someone else rejecting me. And the, the reasons might not be as clear and it might not be as easy to counteract and become unrejected, you know? I really like that you have put a set of lenses on this for you mm-hmm. where... Because as you were saying, the way you were explaining how you view the difference between failure and rejection, I, I, I could see other people seeing it very differently. You know, one is internal, one is external. One is from somebody else, one is from inside yourself, all of those kinds of things. And this is really interesting to hear your particular take on that. Um, and yeah, I wonder, I might make this one of my regular questions. But some of it, different, I mean, different guests, because this is really interesting. So some of it is my take, given my own experience and given my own feelings. But some of it is just the way the verbs work, right? I failed. I was rejected. One is done to me and one is something I did. Oh, that's interesting, too. Further nuance versus something like failure versus rejection. Yeah. Going with oh, interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I gotta be I've totally thought a lot pedantic. about rejection, <laughs> but no. This is this is why we have writers. This is why we we make we make sense of the language. Words matter, or something mm-hmm. like that. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, you've made some really cool connections with other athletes as well. Um, bearing in mind what we've just been talking about, do those lessons, whether we're talking about failing or being rejected. Does it really help you connect to other athletes when you're either when you're interviewing with them, interviewing them for your own pieces or in the pool? Well, I guess not in the pool. You can't talk much there, but, you know, around the pool and that athlete's life. Does that does that help you relate and connect? Yeah, I feel very comfortable with athletes. I mean, when I was on Canada Reads, I had the wonderful fortune of having Georges Laroque. I defend Canada, my book, The Bone Cage on Canada Reads. And that was so fun, a big NHL enforcer. And we got along great. And then, Super cool. Yeah. And then when Home Ice came out, my hockey mom memoir, I ended up hitting it off with Carl Subban, P.K. Subban's Sorry. dad at um, mm-hmm. a festival in Moose Jaw. And then he and I did a bunch of touring together with both of our hockey parent books, which is kind of hilarious because my, my hockey book was like, he, his hockey book was like, how did we do it? How did we end up with three NHL sons? And my hockey book was like, why are we doing this? <laughs> what are we doing this for? So coming at it, totally different. Like I'm with a small town regular hockey player in the middle of nowhere. And he's with PK Subban. So we're coming at the sport from as opposite ends as you could come at it. But uh, those are the kinds of people I feel very comfortable with. And I think partly because of the... Um, you know, that's the way I grew up with my brother, um, went to the Olympics. He failed twice, if you want to use that word. He t- tried to make two Olympics before the one that he made. 
And uh, that was a long journey that influenced the bone cage. And that's part of why I'm, I'm proud of him for so many reasons, but he stuck it out. When you talk about sticking it out as an Olympian, you're talking about sticking it out for four more years and then four more years. That's a long time to, you know, get up again. After well, you get yes. Down. When that's what frames your time, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're talking, you're not just talking about, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try swim again in a month. No. Nope. You're talking about, no, I'm going to, I need to think about everything and build. And I don't know if they call it tapering and all that stuff like they do with runners when it comes to swimming, when they get, you know, they have to do that at the right time. They have to peak at the right time, but you're talking a four-year timeline. That's really, and four years of a life. Yeah. How old was your brother when he, like, when was his first, I guess, attempt when he knew he wanted to be an Olympian? And then you mentioned oh. that it took two cycles and then the third Olympic cycle, he was able to succeed. Well, he went when, in when 2000, first? so that means he didn't make it in 96 and he didn't make it in 92. So he would have been just out of high school the first time he tried because he graduated in 89. So, yeah, he would have been an undergrad still the first time he was kind of expected to make it and then he didn't win at the trials. And then, so then oh, another four years, yeah. so you're like into adulthood. So you're putting off things like, you know, careers and jobs and marriages and yeah, it's a big commitment. Oh my goodness. Yes. And I think you and I at, at the age we are, we can look back at say four years of our life and say, it's not a huge part of the entire life. But when you're talking about a 20 or a 24 year old and they've been basically doing something for 12 years that is an incredible chunk of a life, right? I mean. So you have to love it. And that's for me above everything and fa uh, failure, rejection, whatever is like, don't do it if you don't love it. Like that's what I come back to when, when I'm feeling like that didn't go the way I wanted or, you know, I didn't get the publisher I wanted or I didn't get the festival invited I wanted or I didn't get the new book that I wanted or I didn't, you know, whatever it is, I didn't get the medal I wanted. It's come back to what are the reasons I'm really doing this? Like, am I really doing this for the festival? Am I really doing this for the award? Well, no, because that's such a small part of the time spent. Like, there's no reason right. to do those things like writing or ath athletics if you don't love it. Like, if you don't love the time spent writing the pages or doing the training, doing the laps, like, there's no reason whatsoever to do it. So I really believe that like do things you're drawn to because of love and passion and then the outcome i mean it's still painful but it's a lot easier to get over it if you realize you're not just doing it for a certain outcome that's secondary to the fact of doing it because you love it and i guess there are other sort of milestones along the way between those four years too that can help with that yes. you know you have different competitions that can help you sort of measure where you are in your fitness level you know, if you should be doing sort of a mini peek at the world, for example, before the Olympics, you should see that and that'll give you stuff to work with as well. And there's other little targets along the way. Well, and I think um, for athletes, and this is maybe interesting in relation to the question of success and failure also, is that I think for athletes, the Olympics is the mark of external validation. Like if you say to someone, oh, I'm a, I was a wrestler or a runner or a whatever, boxer, they want to know, did you go to the Olympics? Did you get an Olympic medal? Mm, like, were you right. any good? That's the mark to people like, oh, so you were good or you weren't good. And so you could have won worlds every other year and, and dislocated your knee at the Olympic trials in your Olympic year. And so never ended up going to the Olympics. But people won't ask you if you won worlds. They'll ask you if you went to the Olympics. So I think for 
there's all kinds of success that you can have, but there are certain markers of success that mean something to the wider world. I remember talking to a writer once and he really wanted his novel to be made into a movie with a big actor. He said, uh, and he was someone that I, I admired so much already. And he said, then people will know who I am. <laughs> and to, to me, I thought mm. that's kind of like the Olympics at the dinner party. Like if you could say, Oh, I was in this movie and I don't know, right. Brad Pitt played my main character. Well then they're like, Oh, you're a successful. So that's about other people's idea of success to me, those kind of, whether it's the Giller or the Olympics or the movie. Well, and I think measuring ourselves against that kind of ideal, talk about setting ourselves up for, I think we could use either of our favorite verbs now, failure or rejection. <laughs> right? I mean, we could fail or we could reject or be rejected. I think that's that's an incredible, yeah, I think I think we could say that about a lot of different areas in life, couldn't mm-hmm. we? Setting our bar a little, well, not too high because we do want to have goals, but realistic versus unrealistic. And even in my horrible hundred free in Japan that I talked about, like, my, my time, horrible hundred free. My time was okay. Nice. Put that on your t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. my time was okay. <laughs> And I placed top 10. I got a little diploma. Like some people might be, that was a pretty good swim. But I had an idea in my head and I, you know, right. so I matched myself against that. So I call it a failure. But afterwards, after I was yeah. done pouting, I was like, you know what? It wasn't a failure. It was a fantastic 75. <laughs> Just the last 25 was a failure. So three quarters of the race was actually quite successful. <laughs> so it all depends how you look at these things sometimes too. I'm going to broaden the definition of athlete a little bit. Um, I'm going to I'm going to make it more abstract. I'm going to I'm going to look at athlete as the sense of wanting to achieve something significant in life. I would call you as a result uh, an a lifelong athlete, but not just in sports. You are an athlete in life as well. You work hard, train hard, write hard. You book hard, mm-hmm. uh, you festival hard, you play hard, and you mix all of those things too. Um, you're a busy person, but more than that, I, I, I have a sense that you're driven by what you do. And I get, that goes mm-hmm. back to what you were talking about a little earlier too, saying you really got to know what you want to be doing. And you really, I feel, have a genuine sense of purpose. And I, I, I'm going to thank you for that because that's really inspiring. I, I had no idea who you were when I sat down at lit, lit lunch, I guess is what Amanda called it. But since then, being able to do that survey both through the writer world that we share, but also on social media where you have been very um, gracious and, and open with, with your ups and downs and everything in between, it must create all sorts of opportunity for risk. Yeah. Being that passionate about what you do, whatever it is. Yeah. And maybe by extension, failure or rejection, right? Yeah. So, you touch you know? on two two things that I think are you're dead on. And and one is I, I'm so driven. I mean, it's not even healthy, but I just like to get stuff done, you know? And so I think that comes from my upbringing as a swimmer. I, I When I was in high school and before, I swam two hours every day before school, two hours every day after school, did weights on top of that. Like we worked so hard and driven towards this, you know, these kind of single-minded goals. And I like that. Like I like having a goal and working hard towards it. And it gives me a sense of purpose and meaning and uh, it makes me feel good. And so that's what I do. No matter what I'm, I'm, I'm doing is I'm working hard towards whatever it is. And I like your idea that that's kind of an athletic approach, whether it's to, um, like you say, festivaling or writing books or promoting 
other people's books or promoting Canadian literature in general or teaching. Like what I just, I get really athlete about it. And um, it's just part of my personality, which I think has been driven in through sports at a young age. And um, yeah, I mean, for better or worse, that's who I am. Was that a, a chicken or the egg thing? I yeah. guess. Were you driven before you started swimming so competitively as part of your DNA? Yeah. Or did that come about more as a result of all of that extra effort and you learned? Yeah. And then what you say is absolutely right. Like the more you try to do something, the more chances there are to fail or be rejected. Right. And I sometimes tell myself that when I'm mm. feeling bad mm. about rejection or failure. In this case, I'd say they're the same as when I'm feeling bad. I'm like, yeah, well, if I wouldn't have tried anything, I wouldn't wouldn't have failed, right? I wouldn't have been rejected if I just stayed home and tried nothing. But of course, I love to try. <laughs> so, so that uh, failing is a, a byproduct of of trying. Being rejected is a byproduct of trying. And so, that's another thing I sometimes try to get across to my swimmers um, when I'm coaching: is failing as part of the process. If you never fail, you're not trying hard enough. Near the end of this wildlife, it was asked. What difference can I make as one person with one small life? Which also as a literary thing, well done on the turn on the title there. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we hear that question a lot, but it's sort of delivered with a shrug. Well, what difference can I make, right? Well, what can I do? Mm-hmm. But I, how do you feel about this as a thesis for you? Uh, your interests and purposes and what we've been talking about in terms of that, that bigger athleticism is that a rejection of the hopelessness and the meh that can set in when we ask that kind of question? What difference can I make? Yes. Yeah, and I'm struggling with that writing right now, to be honest. I'm just hopefully coming out of what has been a bit of an unproductive period for me because I didn't feel, I don't know, I didn't really feel like the opportunities were there or that maybe I was ever going to be the kind of writer that I wanted to be, or maybe, you know, certain people wouldn't want my next book. Like I was just deciding I was defeated before I even got there. Like maybe the publishing industry seems under a lot of strain right now. And maybe the kind of success I dreamed of doesn't even exist anymore. And like those kind of dark thoughts, like, why am I even doing this? And that's exactly the kind of doom that you can get into when you go down that. What's the, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of it all? I mean, to me, it always comes back to that love has to be a part of it like I have to do it also because I love doing it like I have to if I'm going to write a novel again sure I'm going to have these goals and sure I might be setting myself up for rejection and failure but let's just remind ourselves that we love stories we love making up people we love putting words in their mouth we love the way way we come to new truth and through new understanding through writing we love you know the way readers connect with something and it means something to them and they send us an email and say, oh, I loved your book. Like those little things are going to be as important as we have to make them as important as whether or not we get a big publisher or get a Giller or get a, you know, whatever, get a six figure advance or whatever, whatever crazy thing we dreamed of. It has to be. I don't know many writers who go otherwise, right? I, I think most of us are like that. We do the thing because the words matter mm-hmm. and we love, we love those words. That's what it is. It's love. We love what we do. And yeah, not many of us are going, well, it's an interesting story about the person who said, I would, I, I'll, I'll have made it when. A movie starring a famous person is made of my book. That's an interesting benchmark, but that's not common. I don't know. Maybe we all kind of dream about it once in a while, but. 
I, I know some people are hoping to make a living out of writing, which seems even not seems like a oh, good luck. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, there's okay. That I, that's not even that hot. I think even just making a living, maybe it is that stratospheric now. Uh-huh. <laughs> you no, know, you may as well dream about Brad Pitt yeah. doing your movie, as you will, you know, making an actual living from your writing. Okay, so one of the motifs, and I mentioned it earlier, um, one of the motifs in the articles you wrote on the Active for Life website uh, was the three tips for. Um, I noticed that at the end of a lot of those pieces, you gave the people you were speaking with a chance to give three tips. Um, so I'm going to give you the chance. And uh, you kind of did it a little bit early. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. You actually did three things in response to your swim. Um, so that was kind of three personal Angie tips for a, a swim she wasn't really satisfied with. But can I put you on the spot to see if you could come up with three tips for dealing with rejection? And you know what? Since, yeah, you've really added some good nuance to it. So let's say three tips for dealing with rejection and or okay. failure. Okay. So the, the three tips for um, dealing with failure are one, let yourself feel the feelings. Two, assess what went wrong. Three, make the necessary changes and get back out there. Um, is rejection going to be the same? I'm wondering because... I think with rejection, it's important to consider the source of the rejection and the reasons for the rejection and whether or not it was a reflection on on you or your work or your performance or whether it was nothing to do with you and your performance, right? So I think with rejection, the first step is get yourself back out there. Because I, I remember when I was um, starting writing, it was before feels like before computers like in the stone age or something <laughs> a long time ago i remember i had index cards like an index box and i would write down where i was sending a story and what date i sent it out and then when i got returned it's snail mail i would write down that it got rejected and then i would write the next place i sent it the date and i kept this on an index card cards in a recipe okay. box so that's how okay. old song ago i can't even remember how long ago that would be but <laughs> before computers <laughs> apparently and i i then the process was um was as soon as it came back in to already have a place written on the card to send it back out. And so okay. I think that's really important is the rejection might mean it's nothing. The reaching, the reaching so ahead a little bit, hey? so knowing, knowing they have a plan to reach ahead with. Yeah. yeah and I had a, I have a friend who she says when she gets rejected, she has a, she has a policy. She, when she sends something out, when it comes back, if it gets rejected, she takes herself out for a fancy tea as a treat. And if it gets accepted, she takes herself out as a fancy tea for a treat. (laughs) Exactly the (laughs) same. And I like that. It's just like, well, it's just a part of the process. So let's see what are three, three things about rejection is, um, is, um, yeah, be thinking ahead. You've got a good one. Consider the source. Yeah. Yeah. You got that. Consider the source. Think ahead to get yourself back out there. Right. Be gentle with yourself because not every any every rejection has any meaning or reflection on you. And then of oh, course, of course, yes. if there is something yes. to be learned, take some time when the emotions die down and learn it. Because there's usually something to be learned, even from unfair rejections. Yeah. yeah, it's not always about us, but there. I like that. You're always you can always learn from it somehow. Mm-hmm. We made it through the uh, philosophical, intellectual, <laughs> difficult stuff. Now to wrap things up, we're going to do some quick shots, I call them. So I'm going to just throw some stuff out there and you can respond and explain why you responded. So I pair up some things and you can choose and let us know why. All okay. right, ready? Yep. Butterfly or freestyle? Freestyle. 
because I'm better at it. Although right. I'm working on fly because I think I can break the 200 fly uh, provincial record when I change age groups in January. So I'm working on my fly, but my free cells naturally faster. Mountain bike or run? Mountain bike. And I used to, I would have said run, but I'm getting old. Running hurts my joints. And every time I go for a mountain bike, I'm like, why on earth would anybody run? Mountain biking is so much funner. More fun. Sorry, more fun. <laughs> funner. That's how, that's how mountain bike makes me feel like funner is I, the word. Funner became funnest. a word a long time ago. I'm convinced of it. Funnest. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? I like pineapple on pizza. My kids hate it, so I don't usually have it. I think it's yummy, right? Pineapple, it's good on anything. I think anything. it's yummy too. Yeah. I think it's really yummy. I like it. <laughs> Above the tree line or below the tree line? You're a mountain person. So <laughs> this makes me think of if anyone, if for people who've read this one wildlife, I took Yavita Bidlowska. This is a massive failure. I took Yavita Bidlowska hiking on Mount Hosmer and we got off the trail and we cliffed ourselves out. We had to be long lined helicopter rescued oh, off wow. the mountain it was so terrifying and near-death experience so i should say below i would say below the tree line if you're me but i like both i like both but not right. not long line helicopter rides don't like that i like the qualification <laughs> coffee or tea coffee rock or classical music mm, rock is that is that a right now thing or is it ever classical? Sometimes, but um, right now the kids rule the roost and they're playing their music. But it's funny, their music is '90s alternative rock. It's so bizarre. I'm like that's my music. Get your own music. So it's like 1995. I can, I can sing along to that. Yeah, <laughs> every word, every word. Well, that's all I have. Thank you so much, and thank you for your patience tonight as we ex we tried to exorcise some Zoom demons, but unsuccessfully. Seems, but seems we found the phone. The phone worked. It seemed appropriate <laughs> on a, a podcast about failure that we would have so many fails before we got in touch. All right. I'm going to edit that out and change it to that we meant to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> but We're sending out a special thanks again to Angie Abdu for her time and wisdom and insights and for putting up with the Zoom gremlins that plagued our first attempts to connect. Thank goodness for phones. We'll put some links up on the episode notes to make sure you can find her books and articles. And as always, we're looking for your stories and ideas. Reach out through our website, social media, or email us at rejectedcentral8 at gmail.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, follow, share Rejected Central on your own channels, and we'd be especially grateful if you take a moment to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. To say thanks, we'll be watching out for your support, and we'll be making a draw in November for one lucky supporter to be a guest on our show here. Well, thanks for listening again, Rejects. Have a good one. Bye-bye.